life after the great reset for our children and our grandchildren will be hell on earth. And it's not that far off. And it's not a conspiracy theory. You can go on to the World Economic Forum website and read all about it for yourself. It's there and it's in the open. And Charles stood with Schwab in 2020 and together they launched this maniacal scheme. We're taught in the Bible that we are to honour the king. But how do we do that? Does honouring the king mean that we're to grovel before him? Or to overlook his misdemeanours? Or to simply accept that his political views should not be questioned? As Christians, we do have an historical precedent in John Knox, the reformer of Scotland. Knox lived under the reign of Mary, Queen of Scots. He was summoned into her presence about five times to give account of some of the things he had said, actually said about her in sermons. On every occasion, he spoke respectfully, referring to the Queen as Madam or Your Majesty, Your Grace, and so on, but always speaking truthfully and candidly, even though some of the truths that he laid at her door left her totally reduced to tears. Mary is supposed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Surely as Christians, as Bible-believing followers of the King of Kings, we must honour the earthly king and our neighbour by speaking the truth in love. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. Let's read from 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 38 to verse 39. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. Well, we are without doubt at a significant moment in history, the crowning of a monarch. King Charles III ascended the throne upon the death of his mother Elizabeth by right of inheritance. But his reign still awaited the coronation, the official state ratification of the king's reign where he would take the coronation oath in a nominally Protestant ceremony. And in short, he would swear that he would, to the utmost of his power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. 
he would, to the utmost of his power, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law, and maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England. After some other promises specific to the Church of England, he would ratify that promise by saying, The things which I have here before promised I will perform and keep, so help me God. And he will declare himself to be a faithful Protestant. And so having made this sacred vow before God and invoking God's name in an oath, the king would have been anointed with oil. In an ancient sacred ceremony, that is a reflection of the anointing of Solomon. For the coronation of King George II in 1727, the composer George Friedrich Handel composed the stirring anthem Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king. And all the people rejoiced and said, God save the king, long live the king, amen, hallelujah. The words are an almost direct quote from 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 38 to 39. That anthem has been sung at the coronation of every British monarch ever since. So, since the establishment and the established church compares modern coronations with that of Solomon, I think perhaps that permits me to do likewise. It would be difficult to be even-handed, for I'm not a monarchist or a royalist, even though I am a believer in the values of the Union of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But I don't trust the monarchy, and I certainly don't trust Charles. In fact, I trust Charles a whole lot less than I trusted his mother Elizabeth. So let's look at these two moments in history. One, 965 years before the birth of Jesus, or if you like, almost 3,000 years ago. And one, right now. look at the ruler and the reign and the ruin. So who is the ruler? Well, Charles III became king on his mother's death on the 8th of September 2022, and he was crowned nine months later. Our biblical king was in this sense the opposite. Solomon was anointed king while David was still alive, albeit on his deathbed, a preemptory act to prevent a coup d'etat by another of the princes, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, David's fourth son. The anointing was done by three men, by Zadok the priest, the high priest of Israel, by Nathan the prophet, that courageous prophet of God who was brave enough to confront King David when he had sinned with Bathsheba, and he confronted him afterwards with the truth, Thou art the man, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada a representative of the king's army, specifically the divisions known as the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Those two regiments rode beside Solomon as he came to Jerusalem, not just to protect him from his enemies, but to indicate to the people that Solomon was David's chosen successor with the support of the military. 
they went down from Jerusalem to where Solomon was staying, and placed him on the king's personal animal, a mule, I suppose something similar in significance to the placing of Charles in the state coach for the journey to the abbey. And they brought him to Gihon, a spring of water outside the city walls of Jerusalem, only just outside it. There was great significance in this choice of location. A spring of water indicated refreshing and blessing for travellers and visitors and city dwellers alike. At Gihon, the procession stopped to allow the priest of Israel, Zadok, to go into the city, to go to the tabernacle of David, and to obtain some of the oil from the tabernacle, and then return to Gihon, to anoint the prince with the oil. When the anointing was done, trumpets were sounded. Presumably these events had caused quite a stir, for a crowd must have gathered, and were told that when the trumpets played, all the people began to shout, God save the king, or long live King Solomon. The coronation of Charles III and his second wife Camilla as king and queen of the United Kingdom and other Commonwealth realms would be on Saturday the 6th of May 2023 at Westminster Abbey. The king would come to the abbey in a procession with crowds gathered and people watching from all over the world, there in person and on television. During the coronation ceremony, the anointing with oil would be ceremonially repeated by the Archbishop of Canterbury, using oil brought from Jerusalem, and as tradition dictates, the moment of anointing is not directly shown on television. back to that Old Testament account. David has died and the wars of succession are over. Solomon is the undisputed king in all of Israel, with the twelve tribes united, probably by and large, behind him. Of course, when you think of Solomon, you immediately think of his great wisdom. He was a man with great human insight. He knew all about the worries and concerns of men. He knew their hearts He could accurately judge character and dispense great wisdom. Even a cursory reading of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes would show that. The case of the two women claiming the same baby demonstrated this special wisdom and human insight. But Solomon's great wisdom had nothing to do with political statesmanship or even common sense. Politically, Solomon was a disaster. He made some interesting alliances and expanded international trade with his highly lucrative and successful commercial pacts, and yet his internal policies were a disaster. Let's think of some of the really stupid decisions Solomon made during his reign. He wasted the people's money on vanity projects. The temple that he built in Jerusalem took seven years and was highly ornate, And of course, we must applaud him for his persistence in building a place of worship for Almighty God and thus fulfilling his father's wishes. But it emptied the state coffers. It was highly elaborate. 
and he added to that a judgment hall and an armory and an elaborate palace for himself and for his harem. Projects that cost so much that the people were left in poverty. He established a system of forced labour. In 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 15, we read this is the account of the forced labour that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house, and the Milo and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazar and Megiddo and Gezer. The forced labour was known or became known as the Corvée. In an attempt to finance his building works, Solomon asked everyone able to do so to work for him free of charge for a month every year. That meant that farmers were taken away from their fields, from their flocks and from their herds, taken away from their families. Tradesmen and businessmen had to leave down their tools and leave their businesses unattended while they laboured for the king with no income for a month. Needless to say, the Israelites resented this, and especially they resented this encroachment upon their freeborn personal liberty. The population of the land began to hate Solomon the king. And he gave away parts of the nation to a foreign power. Solomon, like any other project manager in the construction industry, needed a supplier, a builder's merchant, if you like. And that supplier was a man called Hiram the king of Tyre, from whom Solomon brought the finest of wood for the panelling in the palace. But that cost him dearly. It cost 120 talents of gold, which Solomon, of course, didn't actually have. So he took out a loan. He offered Haram 20 cities in Galilee as collateral for the supplies. Haram didn't appreciate it. He didn't even like the cities. And whether the loan was repaid or not, the cities once given to Haram were never given back. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10 to 14. The point was that Solomon has no right to give away the land. It wasn't his to give. It belonged to the people who lived there and was given to them by the grace of God. It was a promised land. I wonder would Charles ever agree to give away part of the United Kingdom to a foreign power, perhaps to the European Union? What do you think? Solomon raised taxes. With this kind of fiscal pressure on the economy, some radical tax hikes were needed. Solomon imposed a punishment budget. To facilitate the collection of taxes, he divided the kingdom up into 12 administrative regions, each region responsible for supplying the king's budgetary requirements for one month every year. But the administrative districts were marked out geographically, not by population. So some of the less densely populated regions struggled to pay the taxes. It was a total disaster. And on top of that came his biggest mistake of all. He showed favouritism to Judah, his own tribe. While the other areas suffered under the burden of forced labour and heavy taxes, Judah was more or less exempt. In a land where tribal tensions and divisions were already bubbling away under the surface, the resentment against Solomon and his people had reached boiling point, with the poorer northern tribes ready to declare independence, while Edom and Syria revolted during his reign.
Now, what about Charles? Let's get back to him. We may think it's too early to assess how his reign will affect the nation. His late-life ascension to the throne may mean that unlike his mother who reigned for 70 years, Charles's reign may be mercifully short. He is, of course, a constitutional monarch, but that hasn't stopped him from meddling in politics before. And judging by his close affiliation with shady globalist groups like the World Economic Forum, that meddling will continue. The journalist Hannah Furness, who in 2020 was the royal correspondent on the Daily Telegraph, reported on the 22nd of May of that year, and I quote, The Prince of Wales will call on world leaders to capitalise on the unique but narrow window to put planet and people first. In the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, as he launches a great reset project, the Prince is to co-host an event with the founder of the World Economic Forum to bring about a green recovery, encouraging businesses and politicians to ensure that they build back better as they cope with the repercussions of the COVID-19 crisis. The Prince, who has long advocated for climate change and the health of the planet to be placed at the heart of economies, will work with Klaus Schwab on the event due to take place online on June 3rd. Now, what is the Great Reset? It's an initiative of the World Economic Forum, an initiative that will leave you poorer and colder and with far less freedom than you have now. It will introduce 15-minute neighbourhoods with people restricted in travel. It will close down farms and remove beef and lamb from our diets. It will replace our meat with insects and laboratory-created proteins. It will take away your cash and replace it with programmable digital currency so that the government can control what you spend. Aeroplane travel will eventually end, except for the elites, of course. You won't have a car or a private property. As Schwab himself said, you will own nothing and be happy. It will mean everyone will be tagged with a digital identification. Your movements will be tracked, your carbon footprint will be traced, your social credit adjusted and your lifestyle and your purchases restricted. You will be given multiple vaccinations, without which you won't be able to work or travel. Life after the Great Reset for our children and our grandchildren will be hell on earth. And it's not that far off. And it's not a conspiracy theory. You can go on to the World Economic Forum website and read all about it for yourself. It's there and it's in the open. And Charles stood with Schwab in 2020 and together they launched this maniacal scheme. Not for the first time either. Charles's commitment to the climate alarmism scam has been going on for years. Solomon's reign left the people divided, impoverished, hungry, businesses and farms destroyed, the nation reduced in size, a simmering resentment that morphed into pure hatred of the king and his successors. I wonder what the reign of Charles III will bring. And I can't help thinking it may be every bit as bad as the reign of Solomon. Look, 
let's go back to Solomon and ask why his reign was such a disaster. What happened to his legendary wisdom? There are two main reasons for the ruin of Solomon. The first was sexual lust. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Many of these marriages were the result of diplomatic treaties. When a king in the ancient Near East would conclude a treaty, a trade deal with another king, a daughter would be given to the more important of the two parties as a sign of good faith. But Israelites were not permitted to marry foreign wives. Still, Solomon took a full advantage of the situation. Sexual lust and false religion. There was another complication from this practice of exchanging women to mark a treaty. All of those wives brought with them into Israel their false religions, their false gods. We can read about it in 1 Kings 11, verse 1 to 3. King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now there's the answer to Solomon's downfall. His wives turned his heart. I believe a child struggles in those areas, morality and religion. His well-publicised adultery, contrary to the law of God, which he will promise to maintain, that adultery with Camilla while he was married to Diana, his long friendship with people like Jimmy Savile, those things raise legitimate concerns. And you do know a man by the company he keeps. In his coronation oath, Charles will promise to maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. He will promise to the utmost of my power to maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion, and yet he wants to be not the defender of the faith, but the defender of faith. Any faith and every faith is witnessed in the controversy over his wish to have false religions included in the coronation ceremony. Charles even wanted them to have prayers to their false gods. As for defending the Protestant Reformed faith, apparently he received a gift from the Vatican. Pope Francis, another puppet of the World Economic Forum, sent him a piece of the cross of Christ, if you can believe that. Here's a quote from Reuters, the news agency, posted on April the 19th, 2023. Pope Francis has gifted fragments believed to be from the true cross on which Jesus was crucified to form part of a new processional cross which will be used at the coronation of Britain's King Charles. It will lead the coronation procession of Westminster Abbey in London. So a procession led by a popish superstition. There's the very same two sinful issues that marred King Solomon's reign and made a mockery of his wisdom and led to the breakup of his once united kingdom.
So we have considered the historical precedent of Solomon the king and compared it with our present situation. What are we going to do? Well, we must acknowledge that we should and must honour the king. That's a biblical principle. First Peter 2 and 17. Honour all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. I suggested earlier that the proper way to show honour and respect for any of our neighbours, including the king, is not by overlooking their sins and their glaringly obvious faults, but by directly and lovingly confronting them with truth, so that they may have the opportunity to repent of their sin and to turn from it. Just like Nathan did when he confronted David the king in Second Samuel chapter 11 and verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. As Christians, we're to pray for the king. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And of course, let us remember that first and foremost, our only allegiance, our true allegiance, is to the King of Kings, to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. May I make another suggestion? That when we pray for Charles, we pray for him to be saved by God's grace. Let's pray that God's Holy Spirit might awaken Charles to his need of the Saviour. Let's pray that he would turn from his wicked ways, as we all must, as sinners, and place his trust in Christ alone. When Christians say, God save the king, we really should be meaning that God will rescue the king from his sin and bring him to a genuine saving knowledge of Christ. In that sense, we will honour Charles. And we will pray for Charles. And all the while, we will remember that God is in control of our history and that Charles himself will one day answer to God for the works that he has done in this life. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Romans 13 and verse 1. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating.
See you next time.